Aaron, in your career, have you ever briefed an ambassador, then worked on the range, then with a canine out in the battlefield? I personally have not, but our guest Rick Hogg has done all of that and more. And then wait until you hear some of the stories that he talks about in this episode. Strap in because we cover a lot, including the importance of learning how to problem solve as opposed to learning one static solution. We also discuss tips for dog training, which I personally can use with my own dog. And even though she's only eight pounds, it actually works. Shall we head into the briefing room? Let's head in. All right, everyone, welcome to the Vertex Briefing Room. I'm your host, Ron, and joining me today, we have Aaron Silverstein from Vertex and also Rick Hogg, who is the owner over at Warhog Tactical. So Rick, for those who don't know you and don't know Warhog Tactical, would you mind giving a little brief background about Warhog, the efforts you guys have on both training side of things and on the canine side of things and your background? Absolutely. So I'm a 29-year U.S. Army Special Operations Combat Veteran. I'm also a Special Operations Forces K-9 Handler. I've taken my time as both an advanced urban combat instructor and my 13 combat deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan, and I've harnessed Warhog Tactical. We provide mobile firearms, tactical, and canine training to law-abiding citizens, military, and law enforcement agencies. We're getting ready to launch a canine product line hopefully next month. A little setback with the whole uh, virus thing going on, and we also consult for both the defense and firearms industry. That is awesome. And thank you for everything. Thank you for your service. And thank you for everything you do to continue to provide the best solutions for our warfighters that are out there. Rick, when you were in the 82nd, then also switched over to special forces from the 82nd, what were some, some things that you learned while you're in the 82nd that you wish civilians knew or that you could carry over and, and help teach civilians? When I was down the 82nd, my first squad leader probably gave me the best leadership advice I got. And it was this. He's like, look at all leaders. He's like, you want to take the good, grab that information, stick it in one pocket. Take the bad, grab it in the other hand, stick it in the other pocket. Always draw from the good, but remember the bad. You know, you don't want to be pulling from the bad, but you want to understand those. So that was a big takeaway that kind of helped, if you want to say my leadership style was, hey, you can look at anybody, good, bad, or indifferent. Everyone's got leadership styles, but harness those that you want to emulate, how you want to perform that way, motivate your guys, take care of them. That's great. Vertex is, you know, ultimately it's a Berkshire Hathaway company. And I think if you look at their founder, Warren Buffett, I know when people ask him, what does he learn the most of, or what is his most successful businesses been over the years? He says, Hey, you know, you'll learn a lot more from the businesses that I've had that have failed rather than mm -hmm. the successes that I've had. I and mean, I sure. think that's kind of very similar. So when you went from the 82nd to the special forces community, that's a big jump, you know, not a whole lot of people have the ability or the privilege to be able to do that. How was that transition? When I got to Fort Bragg in 88, you got to think there were three special forces groups on Fort Bragg. So you had third group, you had fifth group, and you had seventh group. So there was a lot of SF guys running around Fort Bragg. You'd see these guys out there doing some great stuff. And it's like, man, I need to get me some of that. You know, don't get me wrong. 82nd was a good place to grow up, but let's just say you didn't have the freedom like these guys. So, you know, we'd be road marching by a range. And you're like, who are these guys that got no helmets on? You know, what are those weapons they're using? What are they doing? You know, it's like, man, I need to get me some of that. So I wouldn't say the transition was that hard. It's just kind of a mindset shift, right? So you go from very much a structured organization where you're pretty much told what to do to now when you get into the special operations community, it's almost like, hey, here's the rope you got the choice to either hang yourself or be successful, you know, so you can either climb up the ladder or you're going to sit there and dangle. So it, it's definitely gives you a lot more responsibility 
in that aspect. When I was in the 82nd, what was the chances of me briefing an ambassador? Zero. I might brief whatever my next higher leadership is, but you know, over in a special operations side, I might be briefing an ambassador one day out on the range training guys the next day. I mean, it's a very versatile operating environment. Guys just need to be able to flexible. So I wouldn't really say it was a big transition. It was nice getting out of that thumb on you and just having the flexibility to have that freedom to make the best decisions. Having some of that freedom and the ability to make your own decisions and having your success lean on the decisions you make and how you handle all of those. Did that help you transition into being an entrepreneur when you started Warhog Tactical? <laughs> the old Warhog Tactical. So here's the thing, right? My transition process for Warhog Tactical, or if you want to say Warhog Tactical, was actually established in 2002. So for the viewers, listeners out there, I did not get out of the army till 2017. So what wound up happening is in the uh, late 90s, I was part of the 7th Special Forces Group Advanced Urban Combat Committee. So in essence, we were teaching theory to guys as far as our tactics, techniques, marksmanship, all that stuff. Lo and behold, you know, 9-11 happens. Seventh group was the second group to go over after fifth. I believe it was because we had conducted during that advanced urban combat course, we'd got some of the guys up to company level operations. So you've got special forces teams, not only acting independently, but can come together as a larger element, i.e. at a company level. I personally believe that's why they went over there. Long story short, when those guys came back from their O2 rotation and said, hey man, that stuff you taught me saved my life. That was the hook that set Warhog Tactical in motion, if you want to say. Did I put a lot of time, effort behind getting stuff straight? Nope. I mean, I'd already had a business established. I think it was back in 98. So I was teaching North Carolina Concealed Carry. We just had the business there. It wasn't like it was really super prosperous, just kind of in place. Did I put a whole bunch of effort, you know, after O2? Nope. I just knew that I was going to run a training company. You know, you got to think 13 combat deployments later, you start getting ready to, to transition out of the military. A key point for the viewers, listeners out there, my identity was not tied to my position, my job organization I used to belong to. My identity is Rick Hogg. I had to rebrand Warhog Tactical because I had a good buddy of mine just kind of shooting over some names. And I won't say what my last business name was. He's like, man, that thing stinks. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? It's awesome. He's like, where's your name? It's like, oh, okay. You think about US history, people tie their names to their brand. Wise Colt, Colt, Smith & Wesson, Smith & Wesson. So with the last name of Hogg, sat there, you know, all right, what are we going to do? Next, you know, you know, the Warhog came in. Tactical just kind of cleans everything up there. Doesn't mean that's all we do, but to this day, I'm still mentoring guys getting out. So I spoke a couple of weeks ago at the Honor Foundation, again, just helping service members transition there, just telling my struggles. And here's the thing, man, I would tell anyone out there, go be an entrepreneur. It's the best job in my opinion. However, you will never work harder. My hardest day in the military does not compare to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you work your butt off. You know, there's no magic book out there. You've got to sit there and just kind of get out there and get after it. Grind, grind, grind each day. But really the biggest thing, you kind of hit it up in the beginning. It's your identity, your purpose, your drive. I am in the firearms business, not because I got out the door at 17 and like, what am I going to do? No, this thing was established many years beforehand. So Rick, one thing we like to do is get a, a little bit of background on who the person is. You know, what drove you to join the military? And especially for you being on the canine side of things, was that always part of your past? Is that something you learned along the way? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, New Hampshire, came from a military family. You know, my grandfather served in the army in World War II. My dad was a Marine Corps Vietnam veteran. For as long as I can remember, I knew I wanted to join the army. You know, I did the delayed entry program. So, hey, when I turned 17, mom and dad signed the papers, you know, I know I'm going. With my background, I think a key component 
is I wrestled. So I wrestled a little bit in junior high, but that really wasn't anything. Wrestling in high school, I think, was a big pivotal point for me. What I didn't realize, especially as a freshman, for the first two or three weeks, man, we're not learning any moves. Coach is just out there conditioning us. And literally, I think he's trying to kill us. But you'd watch guys, you know, fall off. So he got whatever his magic number, gut check, whatever you want to say. And then boom, we started, you know, practicing moves. And that was four years in essence of doing a type of selection course unbeknownst. So if you can endure coach, man, and trust me, he was medieval, kind of get to the army and you're like, all right, this is what you got. So easy there. Transition over the dog thing. The dog thing wasn't something I wanted to do. Command thought it'd be a good idea for me and my progression. I said, hey, man, why don't you go over and, and run the dogs? You know what? That was the best kept secret going. I was an independent agent for lack of better terms, right? You know, I left the same guys I was working with. I've already done combat rotation with those guys. I know the guys, right? We're going to do old number seven. Yep, roger that. No big deal. The only thing different is now I'm bringing the best combat multiplier we can bring to the battlefield, and that's the canine. And with that, I was able to retire Duco in 2017. Unfortunately, he passed 5 July 2001. In essence, we've partnered up with Scott's Wish, and we've got a nonprofit under us. So we have the In Honor of Duco project. So now we're basically fundraising, doing stuff like that, making sure that a handler does not have to make a medical decision based on finances. Because when he got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, they were like, your dog's got cancer, but it's going to cost you 10 grand if you want to prolong his life. So trust me, we're still doing canine stuff. You know, we did the American Tactical Canine Association event this year. So we're very much still there. You know, we're going to launch, you know, our product line that we're launching is canine driven. It's in honor of Duco. So there's still very much a big tie to that. But no, it was something I did not want to do. I didn't necessarily bucket because you know what? Those dogs had saved my life prior to. And I'm like, man, if I can bring one of these guys to the battlefield, 100%. When you talk about the new canine products coming out from Warhog, what are some of those products that we can expect to see? And, and what sets them apart from the current solutions that are out there? So we're going to launch with a leash system that was actually designed, I won't say designed, the idea was stemmed from issues we had over in Afghanistan. But see, here's the beauty with, you know, the Warhog canine product line. It's not just driven towards Mill Ellie. There's functionality built in there. And once I kind of get my video done, and again, as an entrepreneur, I'm the secretary, I'm the marketing guy, I'm the video editor, uh, I'm the camera guy, you know, so we're working on getting our video together on that, but it's for everybody. Does it have mill early applications? 100% it does. Does it have mom application? Yep. Does it have kid application data? Yep. Dog trainer. It's got everybody application in there, but it's roots stem from issues we had with leashes we were using over in Afghanistan. And then once we kind of developed this thing, we're like, wow, there's so much more we can do with it. So I've got to see you for about 10 minutes in the same room for a canine and just do a little bit of training. And I will say is very impressive, but what would you say to a novice as you're coming in as someone that just wants to train their family pet? What are some of the characteristics or skills that you try to instill to somebody to make sure that they're successful and to make sure their canine is successful in their training? So the key thing is consistency. I'll give you a prime example. I brought a dog home to my house that was very much, very well trained, right? So my wife, not to throw her under the bus, but we kind of will. It's simple things. It's like, if you want him to come here, you call his name. And then you got to tell him here, you just can't call his name and expect him to read your mind. The biggest thing I see when people reach out to me, if you want to say for canine advice or just when I'm working with guys, especially when there's multitude of people involved, i.e. like a family, there's no consistency. So the kids say this to the dog, dad says this, you know, mom does that reward this way, do that. The dog's not getting a clear message. I don't care what words you use. Yes, I use the combination of English, German, and Dutch 
You don't have to. You can use whatever you want, but it's just got to be a commonality across the board. And I've got people that struggle. It, it blows me away. Okay, if you want your dog to heal, whatever your heal command is, figure out the word. It doesn't matter. Well, she wants to use this. Well, tell her to use that. And then either you change or, I mean, there's got to be some give and take with it. I would say first and foremost, consistency is number one. Number two, just figure out your plan. Like, what are you looking to do with this dog? Is it an obedience thing? Just depends on the individual. And once they figure that stuff out, just go out and get after it. What are some big common misconceptions when it comes to canine training or canine handling or myths that are out there in the industry? So here's some misconceptions, right? First and foremost, it kind of goes to the owner handler. So we've seen in the limelight, these military working dogs, especially the Belgian Malloway, you know, everyone wants to get one of those and they think it's going to be cool. Then I'm going to get me a Mally to the house. And then next, you know, their house is destroyed and they're sitting there shocked. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Check it out. You've got a high drive dog, right? You've got to put time and effort into that dog. If you're going to sit there and go to work, are you going to take him out in the morning? Ah, eh, probably not because you're running late, right? You might go give him a break, let him go take a squirt, give him some food, stick him back in the kennel, right? Or you let him run around your house and you've got no drywall or couch or whatever dramas happen. And then of course, you know, come home and oh, you got to take the kids to soccer practice or do something like that. If you're looking to get one of these high drive dogs, I would say this, have the time that you can put the effort into that dog. Just don't stick him in a box all day and then, you know, not expect to have dramas. You will. You know, as far as the, the industry goes, here's the thing, man. People do all this snazzy, flashy stuff because it looks cool. Here's a prime example. They got the dog walking between their legs. So people ask, Rick, did you ever walk with your dog between your legs? Nope. Why? Because you've got no mobility, you know? So it's cool if you're looking to do something flashy or looking to work an obedience thing, but there's people that are almost trying to apply this in a tactical manner. I'm like, you've absolutely lost your mind. There's absolutely zero tactical application to that might look flashy on Instagram or TikTok or whatever you're trying to get your people to do. But the problem is then you get people start emulate. Well, let's get the dog walk between your legs. Why? There's no purpose. So to me, put them on your left-hand side, you know, figure out whatever your heel is. And again, this is where people go wrong, right? Yes, I want him to walk at a tight heel. Did he always walk at a tight heel when we were overseas? Nope. Because there were times I need to give him more slack, give him that freedom, whether it's the train, things we're doing, whatever the case may be. But you've got to have that give and take. So just be careful some of the flashy stuff that you see out there. Don't get wrapped around because, again, there's no application for that. So we talked about misconceptions with canine handling. So what are some things about you that would surprise folks that are out there? Things that people might not know about you that you're willing to share. My brain's probably about a bucket of jello. So my numerous TBIs from overseas, I sit there and some days were good, some days were bad, but I try to be very vocal on it. But again, part of it's getting the word out there to our service members. Hey man, take care of yourself, fix yourself. You know, here's the thing. You join the service, especially start go overseas, even training, right? And you're basically in a big meat grinder. Uncle Sugar grinds you up, spits you out. Hope that the VA can patch you up, but it's kind of on you. Take care of yourself. I say that to get it out. And then all of a sudden, the very thing I'm talking about sticks in, um, Here's the other thing, and people have kind of seen this. I've expressed my emotions too on stuff because I think that's important for guys as well. You know, we did that fundraising down there. I remember the first time it was with uh, Paino Productions, right? So here's the beauty. We're out there shooting with them. I could have very easily said, hey, dude, chop that stuff and throw it on the floor. I said, nope, I'm going to take it for a minute because I want to, again, I want to share a message. I want to tell guys, hey, man, you don't go to combat and not come back with some type of baggage. Does it mean you got PTS? Nope, but there's mental baggage that comes in there. For me, it's my, you know, my friends I never mourned for till probably a decade plus later. And then the pain I put my family through, times I should have came home, I didn't. Lied to them, lied to the command. You know, it's just vicious circles. What else? I do enjoy me a good bourbon, but I think everyone kind of knows that with in honor of Duco bourbon we got with Taconic. 
what else? Don't mind casting a uh, casting a rod in the water, but you know, again, it's all timing. Some people may or may not know. I'm a grandfather. Actually, about to have another one at 29. I know it's kind of shocking. Don't be surprised. Yeah. I know some of the best instructors in our industry. They're constantly learning. In fact, sometimes I look at some of these guys taking classes, and I'm like, "You're you're taking more classes than you're teaching, mm-hmm. and you're one of the greatest minds." I know you're you're very similar. You're always learning. Where do you go to learn more? Is it classes? Is it podcasts? Is it books? Is it uh, you know speaking events or? It's kind of all the above. So myself, Pat McNamara and Dutch Chris Moore, you know, we've been doing a bunch of stuff together. So it's good to bounce stuff off of there. You've got to be careful. I'm all about going to other people's stuff. But again, it's what are they putting out? And I'm not going to sit there and go, hey, man, that doesn't work. A prime example, looking at the ejection port of your AR platform. What are you looking for? The gun talks to you, right? But there's still people out there teaching, hey, you want to look. Cool. We don't teach that at Warhog Tactical because here's the problem. What happens when you got no light? So you're training guys for a daylight technique. I don't mind being around other people. Bet who you're going to train with. This day and age, there's enough information on people. I don't think there's Joe nobody out there. They'd be like, oh, who's this guy? Let me go train with him. Go vet the people you're training with or that you want to go train with. Hear what they've got to say. And it's like, yep, cool. If they sit there and go, hey, we're not here to teach you any tactics, just how to manipulate a firearm. Okay, cool. That's great. But I want to teach guys self-defense, right? I want to give you a skill set I hope you never have to use. But God forbid you do. You can do it effectively and efficiently and shut that threat down. Well, it's great to hear. And I think that we're relatively similar in the mindset that we're constantly trying to learn, but we also want to learn good techniques, not bad techniques. And you've got to research and figure that out. One of the things I appreciate about you is what you do for the law enforcement community and giving back to that community. Can you take us through just kind of what you do for law enforcement officers, the different types of training that you you do, especially for some of the small to mid-sized agencies that don't necessarily have the budget to do training and what you're able to do to give back to those guys. We've partnered with uh, people in the industry, i.e. Vertex and Flying Cross. We offer free law enforcement firearms training. So I primarily focus on when I'm doing a free course, I focus on doing the pistol. Because if I try to do a carbine thing, not every officer's got a carbine, not every department does, but they all carry a handgun. So we, we focus on the handgun. Pretty much start off, you know, Warhog selfie eval, again, with no instruction, just want to see where they're sitting at. And, and again, that's always an attention grabber, right? It's like, you're going to test me right off the get-go? Yep, we are, because that's reality, just to kind of see where they're at. And the beauty is there's no pass or fail. The whole premise is there's all kinds of teaching points in there because we want people to kind of formulate their own ideas and teach themselves what they're doing. From there, we give them some instructions. You know, we work on presentation because that's a key component. I see a lot of officers do poorly, draw from the whole. So we talk, you know, mag change, both tactical and speed. And then really, I think that the true heart of the course, you know, we do some uh, strong support hand shooting, but really the true heart of the course is we actually use t-shirts. So we're trying to make that range because we tell them right from the get-go, treat this like the street. This is not a flat range. Get out of that flat range mentality. So we bring out a t-shirt to have them shoot on a t-shirt. I don't give them any instructions on that one. Everything else, I'm demoing what we're looking to do. This one here, I want them to shoot it on their own. Nine times out of 10, the shots are down low because again, they're always told center mass. And when you're looking at it, they don't know where to place their shots. We pause them about halfway through the drill. We can lift the shirts up. We can take a look at the targets. And again, all right, guys, check it out. And I give them a little bit of information where their proper aim point should be. And the next thing you know, groups are up in a good spot where they would stop that threat. You know, we also push on their shootings, an unemotional event. If you start on the flat range, if you're kicking the dirt, cussing yourself, number one, you're doing yourself no good. You made a good shot. Cool. Repeat what you did. If you didn't know what you did not to, you know, make that shot and then don't do it. And then really we culminate with two iterations of shooting under physical dress. And it's just not a one and done. Hey, 
run 50 meters and shoot and you're done. Nope. Our friends over at Brute Force provide us with this nice little tool that we huck a buck on the range. We do three iterations because here's the thing. I've had officers, you know, call me post courses. Hey man, I believe doing multiple sets of, you know, that physical rest of my life. Gunfight ensued at the car, you know, suspect runs off, you know, now another gunfight ensues and we try to emulate or I'm taking my experience from combat, right? You just don't stand there flat-footed. Man, I got to get out off this helo, run this target building. I might have threats along the way. I might have threats in there. It's a constant moving game. Your heart rate's up. So let's expose these guys to that and just try to get them as well prepared as we can. But here's the thing. You're starting to see a big shift. A lot more people support law enforcement and this whole defund the police. You're actually starting to see go away. So departments you would think don't have any money that were on their defunding before. Now they're starting to go, hey, man. And that's the other thing we're doing. And Aaron, you've seen it. It's the marksmanship portion is a piece, 100%. We're also making problem solvers. We're having these guys solve problems out there in the flat range. And if you go, well, how are you doing that? I'll say, come out to a course and find out. It's always about getting them to think. If I spoon feed them, what's going to happen during that deadly force encounter? They're going to look for somebody to bail them out. And it's like, nope, you've got to bail yourself out. You mentioned the brute force sandbags that they're using. Is it that or what piece of equipment from a physical fitness training aspect, what single piece of equipment would you say to somebody listening? What's the best piece of gear or the most versatile piece of gear they could go out and get now to start prepping for a Warhog class where they'll be put under some physical duress? I would say this, go get yourself a brute force bag because here's the deal. If you look at kind of some stuff we have, because we've got enough stuff online, you can take a look and go, you know, here's kind of some of the exercises, drills, different things we're doing. And the thing is, guys have to understand that you can do this in a dry fire environment, right? Everyone thinks that it's got to be just done. It can only be done out at the range. I can incorporate physical duress into my dry fire training right? I do it here at the house. You got to be smart on it, right? I'm not out there in my front yard burnishing my firearm. So neighbors go, oh my God, what are you doing? You can elevate your heart rate, scoot inside the garage, do your business, roll back out. If you have the range that allows it, go ahead, get out there, get your workout out, out on the range. If you can get that distance in there. And again, we use steel because it's easy. Just I'm not down there having to repace. I've got to get guys through quickly, right? And we put a big penalty on there. Hey man, you miss a shot. That's 10 seconds. And when you're sitting there competing with your guys and, and it's fairly tight the time and nine times out of 10, it boils down to marksmanship. You've got to get hits on target. Just having a noisemaker is not going to save your life. And the beauty of brute force, right, is you can know that as you start getting physically stronger, I can start putting more weight in this bag. You know, so it's not like I've got a dumbbell where I'm stuck, let's say, at 20 pounds or a kettlebell. I'm stuck at whatever the weight is. I have this one object and that's all I've got. Man, I've got a bag that I can load with sand. And then, oh, by the way, if I really want to load this thing up, go find you some used steel shot, jam that in your sand. Trust me, you'll yeah. crank your weight up there. And then the beauty is too, I can dump it, pack it up. And then whenever I get out to sight, load it up. I'll tell the viewers, listeners this, you know, I'll, I'll put a shameless plug in there. If you go to warhog.com, look at our industry partners and you'll probably see a discount code for uh, brute force on there. Well, Rick, what we do at the end of all of our podcasts is we have a lightning round of questions. We have four questions that we normally do. I'm going to throw in a bonus fifth question at the end because of somebody that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. So I'm going to throw these questions at you and I need you to just answer as quickly as you can. Just shoot from the hip. What three pieces of gear do you always want to have with you? Pistol, money, and my phone. If you were on a desert island, abandoned, what's the one book? piece of music or movie that you always want with you bible that's a good one we had a podcast with kyle lamb before mm -hmm. and i thought for sure kyle was going to throw out bible and he he didn't so that's a that's a good one 
All right. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Probably Lollapalooza sometime in the 90s. I know Metallica was in there headlining, but there was a whole bunch of other ones in there. I think Rage was there. That cranks up there and seeing Van Halen as well. That was another good one. All strong names to throw out. Okay. Yeah. Here's a bonus question that is not included for anybody else. Okay. Pat Mack. Yep. What's the number one basic dude thing that you can think of? For Pat, I would say I'm going to throw the baking the pie. That was a pretty good one. Ooh, okay. I thought you were yeah. going to say land nav or no one Man, bugs. Or... <laughs> but see, think about it, right? When you look at the cooking side, right? A lot of dudes would be like, especially like a pie, man, that's chick work. You know, he's out there going, hey, man, bake your own pie. It's breaking up that whole monotony, right? So a lot of dudes think that, hey, because we're dudes and that's why, why am I vocal as far as, you know, the TBI stuff? Why am I vocal as far as the emotions? Why am I vocal that, hey, man, you're not getting out of combat unscathed because it's important for guys to understand. Get it out there and better educate them. The last one in the lightning question round, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? So when I was a young teenager, we were out in some parking lot drinking beer, eating beer nuts, and somehow the cops found us and pretty much confiscated our beer and told us to beat it. I think he got some free beer on there. So we were definitely for sure thought we were going to get burnt on that one. Well, that's pretty lucky. Well, Rick, we can't thank you enough for taking the time with us, joining us, sharing a lot of your knowledge with us. Um, we really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to the next time, hopefully, that we get to do this. And as a shameless plug, if you guys ever want to jump on On The Range podcast, that's the one we're on. You guys are more than welcome to come on. And whatever you want to talk about, we're always game. So, Rick, where else can people find you? Warhog, W-A-R-H-O-G-G.com. That's the one-stop shop. So I used to sit there and go, hey, here's my social handles. Nope. Because if you go to warhog.com, you can find all the social stuff there, find out about Duco, you can get to his pages, you know, all that stuff, all our products, courses, you know, we've got training videos, all that stuff. So warhog, W-A-R-H-O-G-G.com, one-stop shop, Warhog Tactical. One more shameless plug, you might find a Vertex discount code in there as well. Ron, that was such a good one. What was the favorite thing that you took away from it? I love Rick's approach to what's normally referred to as PTSD. And he, I think, very consciously referred to it as just post-traumatic stress and how he encourages everyone to talk about their feelings and don't delay how you're processing a lot of the really intense things that you can experience out there in the field, you know, serving uh, in our military. He's just a great guy to, to listen to. Very well said. We always have to think about our veterans, thank them for their service, and just always be cognizant of what other people have gone through to make sure that we're protecting our freedoms. Well, thank you all for joining the Vertex Briefing Room. Make sure you check out the show notes at vertex.com slash podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and give us a review. Feel free to drop us a line and let us know what topics and experts you would like to hear about on future episodes. All right, Ron. So uh, where are we heading to next? I think I got to go get some dog food from my chihuahua. Oh, good call. They eat a ton.